This podcast has been made possible by Planful and U.S. Bank. This is episode 619. So then you kind of fast forward, uh, I, I would say probably six months, and in the pending uh, merger for Time Warner, it was announced that we were uh, looking to establish an advertising company that would sort of uh, help power this data to monetize content. You know, so I raised my hand and said, I would love to have an opportunity to do this. I think it's important for our company. I think it's critical to the strategy and, and sort of forward looking path of the business with Time Warner uh, as part of the portfolio. And um, this is something I'd be excited to help with. Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we speak to Ray Carpenter, CFO of Xander, an analytics and advertising company formed by AT&T's WarnerMedia. Ray built his career inside the mothership at AT&T, but at the same time, along the way, with opportunities outside the traditional finance realm. However, as he points out, he never strayed far from numbers, data, and analytics. We speak to Ray about Xander and its plan to power up the data behind its advertising opportunities. We begin after this. In an ever-changing world, it can be tough to keep up with the latest FP&A trends and innovations that keep you ahead of the game. Luckily, there's a podcast for that. Tune in to Being Planful, the podcast for finance leaders and planning experts, and stay in the know about what's happening in planning and forecasting. Guests like influencer Chris Ortega, Boston Red Sox CFO Tim Zhu, and Brian Lapidus of AFP will keep you up to speed on how you can put finance in the driver's seat this year. Find the full episodes at beingplanful.com or wherever you get your podcasts. P.S. Think you might make a great guest on the show? Shoot host Rowan Tonkin an email at beingplanful at planful.com. Hello, we're speaking to Ray Carpenter, CFO of Xander. Ray, welcome. Thanks, Jack. Happy to be here. Ray, uh, we're going to begin where, frankly, we always do, which is to ask our guests to look back for us and share with us some of those experiences they feel prepared them for a finance leadership role. What comes to mind for you? Sure. Yeah. No, it's a it's a fun question to answer because you really get to reflect on kind of the journey uh, that leads to where you are today. Uh, actually, in June of this year, I will have spent 16 years with uh, AT&T. Uh, and in that uh, time, I've uh, been lucky to have a whole host of uh, roles and responsibilities uh, within a company that really is you know, one of the more um, 
dynamic and, and at the center of innovation in terms of communication and technology uh, within uh, overall industry. So within my career, I've had uh, roles where uh, we've actually started up new businesses within AT&T, where I've been on the side of uh, integrating companies uh, or where I've actually uh, been in a finance role supporting a mature product set. And so having uh, uh, exposure as a, as a finance leader with company or with parts of uh, companies that are in different areas of the S curve has really given me uh, this opportunity to build muscle in a way that allows me to sort of focus in on those areas that are truly uh, immutable, no matter where you are in a business related to finance. So how do you create value? How do you ensure that the business is operating in a way that is efficient? And I've been lucky enough to have all these different roles within a single company that uh, has enabled me to sort of build that muscle and learn from that in a way that's, I think, made me a better finance leader. Okay, well, that uh, well, you certainly boil things down for us. But I'm wondering uh, about your first chapter. And I think your the first title we see on your bio was as a finance analyst. So it seems like you are already somewhat focused. But Tell us about your arrival there at AT and T, and what uh, you know your door of entry, uh, if you don't mind, and what what uh, was the path originally uh, that you headed down? You bet, sure. So I joined uh, what was at the time a, a, a pretty stout uh, regional telco company called SBC, uh, which later became AT and T, uh, out of business school and joined a financial leadership program. And so out of uh, out of business school. Uh, this program allowed people like me to rotate through different areas of the business as a financial analyst and learn more about different parts of the business. So my first role was actually supporting uh, a part of the business that uh, sold copper lines and ATM networks to other small businesses in the Southwest area, the Southwest area of the company. And so I did a lot of modeling and, and forecasting and reporting in that role and really got to learn some of the kind of basic nuts and bolts of the business. Can I can I interrupt? Can you tell us something about copper lines? We don't most people don't know. <laughs> sure. Uh, well, here's one thing. They're always uh, connected in a pair. So uh, whenever you hear about copper lines, it's actually a pair of copper lines for redundancy uh, that it, that enables the communication to uh, be more reliable. Um, but the reality is, is that when I stepped into that role, we were literally going through the transformation of copper lines becoming less and less important to, uh, to businesses as they move to more IP uh, related forms of communication and then eventually wireless. So could you make that journey with AT&T or were you stuck back with the copper line uh, duty? tour of duty. Oh, no, no. You know I, what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I made the journey. No, that's absolutely <laughs> yeah. right. So. You weren't stuck on the mainframes when everyone was going to the minis and the, that's you know, right. the PCs. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So I've, I've, I've uh, luckily had kind of uh, been through all different parts of that uh, of that journey in terms of the evolution of the business. Um, but this gave me a good, this was a great example of a part of the business I was supporting where uh, we had a mature business product as we were moving and, and watching our markets move into something that was more disruptive and how to manage that from a finance perspective to make sure we get the right kind of cash and the right kind of return out of our mature business, but not lose an opportunity to invest where the market is going and to continue to be sort of relevant. And so managing those two uh, 
uh, uh, forms of business uh, was, you know, literally one of the first roles that I was put into out of business school, which was a great experience. And I, I just want to clue in the audience a little bit here. You're today CFO of Xander, which, of course, is a company that AT&T has formed and established, and it's rather innovative, and we're going to talk about it. But um, what's interesting about your career to me, and I think uh, most likely to others, is you built it inside AT&T. Now, we've had other executives from PepsiCo who really built their finance careers there, and then they leave to do something else. But I mean, way back when, when you were just starting out there and maybe you had four or five years under your belt, why just stick with AT&T? And uh, I'm sure there were wonderful mentors and all of that. But tell us what what was did you was there ever a time where you thought, hey, if I left now, I could be a, a vice president where it'll be another two years here. Uh, what what kept you there? Yeah, no, it's and first, let me start by saying when I joined what was then SBC, if someone would have asked me whether or not I was going to be there, you know, five, 10 years into my career, I would have thought they were crazy. I never thought I was going to stay with a single company. Uh, for that long and and frankly assumed that you had to kind of move from one company to the next to to progress from a career perspective. Um, but you know, really the reason why I stayed is even though I've been with one company for you know that that period of time, I've had very different roles within ATT. And because we're a company that whether it's in media, advertising, telecom, uh, all of the large corporate functions where, you know, in many cases you know, we have, you know, uh, one of the largest debt portfolios where, you know, we have a significant amount of equity in, in working with investors. And so I, I no matter where you are within AT&T, you're sort of doing something in a material way. And I've just been uh, fortunate to move around uh, a lot within the company and not move around uh, to businesses that are, you know, sort of tangential, but almost uh, very different experiences. So I often tell people as, you know, I talk to uh, new leaders uh, across the company that I've been with AT&T for 16 years, but I think I've had about 11 jobs that are different uh, uh, under that same time span. And so um, that's why I stayed. It was always exciting. Uh, there was always something new. It always seemed like we, you know, were on the forefront of sort of innovation and, and leading the transformation going on within the industry. And we do things in very big material ways that, uh, if successful, you're really helping to define how, you know, uh, our parts of the markets operate uh, on an ongoing basis. But there were many, I've always had, you know, times come up where uh, you question or, you know, an offer comes from the outside that's enticing. And and so, you know, I think it would be disingenuous to say that you don't ever think about that as a leader, um, but you really have to, you know, truly sort of assess what you value, what gets you excited to get up out of bed every day and, you know, sort of the, um, the opportunities to really have influence uh, in, in your role. And, and that's allowed me to, to stay within one company. I don't, I don't often do this, but I think in your case, it would be interesting just to highlight sort of what you were just sharing with us, all the different roles you've had, but just to uh, mention a few of the titles over time and correct me if I get any of them wrong, but you were in past lives, you were a director of investor relations at AT&T. You were uh, an executive director of corporate financial pricing. Here's an interesting one. Assistant vice president of marketing, pricing, and strategy for emerging business markets. Right. Next, we find you as a vice president, merger integration. 
And of course, your more senior role, you were a senior vice president of finance for the AT&T Entertainment and Interna uh, Internet Services Group. Uh, how'd I do? Is that uh, or just that? That's just a handful. I want to just give them a sense of what you were just sharing with us. Yeah, no, you got them right. I, the only thing I'd like to point out on two of those roles, two of those roles were actually not in finance. Uh, so the emerging business markets role um, had responsibility for pricing strategy and marketing. And and that was a startup business that we launched within AT&T and really did it in a way that was uh, sort of um, uh, unique for what AT&T typically does when they launch a new business. Um, but uh, I actually got kicked out of finance for that role. And then the very next role uh, was also outside of finance. Uh, my merger integration role was subsequent to us announcing our uh, acquisition of DirecTV. And there I had responsibility for all of the uh, management of the um, overall integration effort, working with our third party uh, Accenture, who um, you know, helped establish a clean room, made sure that we had the right kind of uh, protocols in terms of communication and, and planning, and then did all of the integration planning for finance, legal, communications, uh, real estate, IT, a lot of the GNA functions. Um, but uh, in both those cases, uh, actually, was not technically in finance, which was a great experience for me. It really helped me broaden my perspective. But was it a foregone conclusion that you would return to the mothership in finance or, or no, maybe who knows? Uh, but uh, what would you tell us in your mind? Maybe it was I was always going to return. Or yeah, no. you know, um, I would say it, it wasn't a foregone conclusion and still isn't. You know, AT&T, we have this. Uh, habit of moving people around a lot within the company, both in terms of uh, the parts of the business they work in, but even with their functional sort of uh, responsibilities. Uh, great example, uh, the lady who heads all of our international uh, operations, as well as our global marketing function, has a finance background. Um, our former uh, head of HR has a finance background, and this is for you know the, the larger AT&T and then, of course, our uh, our CEO, who's now on uh, uh, transitioning out uh, to be replaced by um, uh, with with our uh, current CEO and president, he came up through the ranks as a as a uh, accountant and CFO. Um, so um, I always knew that I would be close to numbers, data, and analytics, and uh, felt that um, that typically uh, put me in the finance sort of camp, but. Uh, would not be surprised and have not been surprised if opportunities uh, come around that um, leverage those skill sets, but don't technically have a finance title next to the role. One one last question before we ask you about Xander. Uh, you mentioned analytics. What step in your career were you when you sort of got a, a taste for analytics? It seems that Xander has something to do with analytics today. That's why I, I thought it might be a nice way to, to segue but where were you on your, your career when you uh, first became involved in analytics and thought, hey, this is something I, I enjoy? Yeah, um, you know, it, it's been a, an evolution, really, um, even prior to joining SBC. I've always been attracted to, to data and, and analyzing data to draw conclusions um, and probably uh, dove even deeper into that uh, in the process of earning my CFA when I was in school. Um, and then, um, you know, when I moved to the role that we were talking about with emerging business and um, in, in starting up this new sort of uh, business within AT&T, 
a big part of our marketing function was, is data driven. And we actually built from scratch a predictive analytics team. And so we built models that would allow us to better um, predict the success in the sales funnel, um, to do a better job of uh, understanding uh, where uh, the cost in the business would be most prevalent, um, to, to even look at it in terms of uh, where we should be focusing in terms of verticals and, and regions within the business. And um, it was all very heavily analytics, but I, you know, I think one of the things that I'm sure will come out in our discussion is it's to me almost impossible to separate analytics and finance. And a lot of the basics of business are so interdependent. And we often talk about it in, in silos, but the reality is, is they're, they're all one and the same. And, um, you know, I just found that my experience under, you know, having a good appreciation for financial outcomes and how to get the best financial uh, answers and uh, marrying that with operational sort of data sets uh, just uh, was valuable and was something that I've, you know, continue to try to leverage in, in other roles that I've been in. Well, thank you for allowing me to ask you a few extra questions there, uh, Ray. And we now move to uh, finding out about Xander. Tell us about Xander. Uh, what was the opportunity you saw and what are the, the offerings? Today? You bet. Yeah. So Xander, uh, really an amazing opportunity, not just uh, for me personally to be a part of it, uh, but also just within you know the overall portfolio at AT&T and, and the industry. Uh, so what Xander is, is we built, uh, this is another startup story within AT&T. We built a company uh, that focuses on using technology, uh, data, and uh, our rich library of content that we have access to to make advertising more effective, more relevant for consumers, for publishers, and for brands. And so what does that really mean? We build uh, the connectivity in terms of technology that takes what you would typically experience from a brand, you know, brand exposure perspective, whether you're watching television or you're uh, uh, online uh, uh, looking at a, uh, a digital website, and ensure that that uh, uh, advertising is actually relevant to something that you're interested in that isn't as disruptive uh, as advertising can some sometimes be and that works really hard you know works harder for both the publishers who are uh, trying to monetize their content and the brands that are trying to reach uh, those those consumers and those audiences so a lot of what we do is very targeted audience driven uh, and really sort of housed in uh, the ability to take data and, and, and put it to action in terms of power and advertising. Now, was this uh, company, was it a little different from how AT&T has approached uh, these types of uh, company building exercises in the past? Forgive me for putting it that way. But uh, is there something different or no? Was it, did it take a similar path? A little different, no. Um, so a big part of, uh, Xander's uh, uh, strategy and the impetus behind it was in uh, conjunction with our uh, transaction to purchase Time Warner, uh, now Warner Media. And so with that, we were starting up a business that did, that took a, um, an amalgamation of different assets and capabilities across uh, the existing AT&T portfolio, but then also brought in external capabilities. We actually uh, acquired uh, a couple companies uh, shortly into our existence, uh, created a brand new, you know, a brand and, and identity, uh, and brought in a lot of outside talent. So it was a combination of 
moving components of our business that would be in support of this uh, overall strategy related to uh, uh, having scaled premium content and, and, and monetizing that in the best way possible. But then also um, uh, looking externally to bring in the right expertise, uh, technology and capabilities through acquisition and hiring uh, to create what is now Xander. So a, a different model than what we've done in the past. Take us a little bit back in time here. Here you were CFO of the uh, the entertainment and internet services uh, unit. And you see this opportunity taking shape. You're someone who has taken, you know, tried different things over the years. So I would imagine you're you're a likely candidate. At the same time, you probably could have said no to this one. Uh, what what uh, what brought you in, or, or was there actually, Jack? I couldn't say no. <laughs> <laughs> you can always say no. However, you'd like to characterize it. You know, when I first looked at your bio, I assumed it was a standalone company, and it would have been a natural move for many senior executives who've been there, done that, might have been more than intrigued by. It looks interesting. What would you say? What would yeah, you tell sure. us? No. Um, so uh, at my time at the uh, entertainment group, which, uh, as you mentioned, the business that was responsible for video, internet, and wired voice, um, you know, we had just gone through that acquisition. And I, uh, you know, not only made all the plans for the integration, but then had to execute against those as the CFO uh, post uh, post transaction, and so that was a that was a great experience for me, and and really uh, um, a, a good growth opportunity for me in many ways. Um, a big part of what our strategy was as we uh, took on that business was to uh, innovate and revolutionize how video is distributed to consumers. And so one of the things that we were very early in doing, which at the time was sort of on the leading edge, was uh, launching an OTT over the top platform for uh, video distribution uh, in what's called a MVPD type format, meaning multiple programmers, similar to your satellite experience, but all over the internet. As we as we worked through that strategy, a couple of things became even more clear for us. And one of those was how important it is to think about data, the data supply chain and the technology associated with that to actually get the most out of the monetization opportunities you have with, with content. And I'd, I'd, I'd been asked to do some work on that uh, by our uh, CEO of that, of that business unit at the time and really you know, kind of dug into it and, and saw a big opportunity, not only in terms of how to do that regardless of where you are, but something very specific within AT&T. So then you kind of fast forward, uh, I, I would say probably six months after I worked on that project um, and in the uh, pending uh, uh, merger for Time Warner, it was announced that we were uh, looking to establish an advertising company that would sort of uh, help power this data to monetize content. And you know, so I raised my hand and said, I would love to have an opportunity to do this. I think it's important for our company. I think it's critical to the strategy and, and sort of forward-looking uh, path of the business with Time Warner uh, as part of the portfolio. And um, this is something I'd be excited to help with. And uh, we brought in an executive from outside of AT&T, Brian Lesser, who is a very well-known uh, executive in the advertising world. And it was, knew that he was going to need um, a good mix of support from people that know how to navigate AT&T, but also that aren't going to be hindered 
by doing things the AT&T way and kind of know when to, you know, kind of uh, define our own path and when to, to leverage or ensure that we're utilizing the, the right approach given AT&T's broader uh, position. And so I felt like I was a good candidate to help them with that too, given my experience and connections, you know, within, uh, to use your term, the mothership, um, so that he, he didn't have to go learn all of that on his own. Um, so those two things sort of made a made it into an exciting opportunity because I felt like I could add a lot of value and I was excited about the subject area. And then to be a part of a startup environment, you know, again, within a company like AT&T, that is, uh, you know, th those are uh, rare opportunities because you still have the the balance sheet and the 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 stability of AT&T, but you have all the latitude to go build something new. And uh, I just didn't want to miss uh, having an opportunity to do that again. And can you give us some sense what's the, the size workforce is today? Yeah, it's a little under 2,000 employees. Uh, it's about a $2 billion revenue stream and about a billion dollars in EBITDA. Okay. Well, it's uh, given, given the size it's already at, we would be interested in learning what are the business dynamics that you're seeking to better expose with the numbers? You come in and you really might have a clean, well, you were looking at the numbers probably well before you landed in the CFO office there. But at the same time, uh, it was your opportunity to really say, here's what we need to be paying attention to. What what would those be? What are you trying to measure? Yeah. So um, it really, to your point, the, the benefit of being able to uh, kind of come in with more of a clean slate and and not inherit as much as, as you might do when you come into a role like this. Uh, was a big opportunity for us. And so uh, one of the things that we championed very early uh, that, that me and my team led is something that there, it obviously doesn't have a marketing name attached to it. We call it the MRR, but it's bas basically the uh, monthly uh, uh, reporting and results uh, a package. And what we did is across every uh, uh, significant element of the business, we married financial metrics and operational metrics to create a single sort of KPI that was relevant to the business. So a great example uh, could be a product profitability. So for a certain number of product sets, are those products actually growing uh, on the top line and are they creating the cash flow value or margins that were expected on the bottom line? Or it might have something to do with the velocity of getting uh, a customer going from being uh, a customer that we're thinking about bringing on or that, that we're sort of in the discovery process in all the way to actually collecting uh, 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 bills from and, and putting cash in the bank. And so what's that interval and what are all the different touch points? Um, so we, we created this package and, and even put it into a uh, digital format to where uh, all of the leaders across all the different functions of the business, including the CEO, every month we sit around the table and we go through all of these performance metrics and measure them against what's been targeted. We actually uh, isolate you know, anywhere between three and five that drive compensation for our uh, management employees. And so their, their measurement against those uh, KPIs is real and meaningful. Um, and probably the biggest benefit of that, though, is it's not happening in silos. We don't have an operations report in one, you know, one part of the business and a finance report in the other part. It's all combined and, and coherent and gets everyone sort of aligned on the metrics that really matter. Um, you know, and those metrics uh, will change every year and sort of be relevant to our strategic priorities and what we're trying to accomplish. Right now in Xander, I mean, some big things for us are 
bringing more revenue, more participation into our marketplace. And so we look at gross revenue, both from internal utilization as well as third party utilization. Uh, we look at our operating leverage. Are we actually scaling in a way that uh, we're, we're getting more and more profitable because we're keeping our fixed costs and uh, at, at the right level of um, relative to the business? And are we investing in the right kind of automation that allows us to do that? Um, so those are two examples that are metrics that are important to us. Uh, do you think you structured your, your finance team a little differently than you would have uh, if it was just an operating uh, group at, at AT&T? This being sort of more standalone, did you, did you look for different skills? Did you maybe not make uh, hire as many people as perhaps you, uh, you could automate certain tasks? Was there, what would you share with us in terms of building Yeah, um, you know, one, one element uh, that I think goes hand in hand with a, um, more of a startup environment is everyone has to be willing to do everything. Uh, you know, you, you, you can't sit in, um, in a functional sort of boundary and, and expect all of us to be successful because at times we have to sort of react to the needs of the business and, and put every, you know, all our muscle behind that. And so the types of people that I would uh, seek out both internally and externally were people that I felt could be comfortable in that, in that sort of environment that could operate well in a more unstructured and, and ambiguous sort of uh, uh, role clarity because the, the role would evolve with the business. Um, and people that had uh, varying backgrounds but still could demonstrate financial acumen and, and an appreciation for detail and data. Um, you know, I have sort of a, a cultural mantra that I, I take with me pretty much every, uh, every uh, business I've been associated with where I get to build a team. Uh, but it, it definitely applied and was appreciated in this role or in this in this opportunity. You know, one, every, you know, employees have to operate with integrity. That's just sort of a, a, a table stakes. But they have to be data driven. Uh, they have to be uh, really uh, focused on being a business partner. I'm not interested in scorekeepers. I'm not interested in people that are just good with sort of the, the T accounts and debits and credits. I want people that and really understand the business, even if they are in an accounting role, I want them to appreciate how the business operates. Uh, so they have to be a business partner and then they just have to have intensity and uh, bring that kind of energy to uh, to the role. And um, as they do that, um, that will sort of keep them from in any way being shy about rolling up their sleeves and helping us develop a brand new uh, what we call TNE policy, travel and entertainment. Nothing, you know, glorified or, or sexy about that, but it's critically important. And we didn't have one that we were going, you know, we weren't going to just use the AT&T version of that. And so I had people in finance that helped to drive that, even though sometimes that would either be run out of HR or just forklifted from a corporate uh, environment. Just want to get a better sense of how finance is strategic here, just in terms of content and how content moves uh, and what content's being consumed. Are these things that you're very much focused on or am I somewhat removed from the, the main yeah, spot that it, you're... Here's a good way to think about it. So um, the, the center of gravity financially for our business is driven by uh, how we monetize uh, advertising inventory that is associated with our uh, direct TV and video businesses. So when you're sitting and watching television, 
typically you're going to get uh, you know 16 minutes of ads for every hour of programming. Well, the way that industry works is programmers. So think of a, any sort of cable programmer will uh, in, in an agreement with a distributor like DirecTV say, I'll let you monetize two minutes of those 16 minutes, however you see fit to help compensate you for distributing our content. And so what we've done at AT&T and through Xander is we've taken those two minutes and used the data that we have about our customers and the technology that we've built in partnership with a company called NVIDI um, to actually uh, ensure that when you're watching your uh, your television and your program, and I'm watching that exact same program, but in a different household, you and I will see different ads, even though we're experiencing what would be considered a linear video experience. So this is called addressable advertising. We lead uh, in this area across uh, um, uh, linear TV providers, and it's it's been a great sort of um, source of growth and, and advancement uh, for the overall industry that is all part of Xander. And there's a lot of technology and data that go behind making that happen. As we built Xander though, in addition to that, you know, knowing that things are moving to a more digital format and, and more and more videos being consumed uh, across software driven platforms, uh, we bought a company called AppNexus, which was one of the leading uh, uh, digital uh, advertising marketplace companies that was independent at the time. And we're now investing in how we stitch together that premium linear video capabilities to deliver targeted ads, along with premium digital uh, video uh, experiences and targeted ads, and then other formats in between like display uh, as well. Um, so you take all of that capability and those are our offerings. So we can give you a marketplace where publishers and brands can come together and connect in a way that's more efficient and data driven. And we can sell brands an ability to be more targeted uh, in a more traditional linear video format. Now you bring in a Warner Media where we have this rich uh, uh, library of content and premium video uh, assets and digital assets where we can take that same sort of marketplace capability and power that inventory in a way that it's gonna get more yield uh, and, and uh, be more profitable for uh, the publishing side of our business. Wonderful overview, thank you. I think that brings a lot of context to, uh, to uh, some of what you've already shared. So thank you for that. And we're gonna jump to what we refer to as our finance strategic moment. And this could have been any time uh, during the course of your career where you identified a risk or an opportunity or something that led you to uh, whether you shot up a flare or you uh, moved your organization into a different direction, whatever it may have been, we're looking for a finance strategic moment. Anything come to mind? Yeah, um, yeah. They, this um, they're all there are a lot of different directions I can go with a question like that. The the one that sort of comes to mind uh, and, and resonates a little bit more is. In one of those careers that we talked about, I was working in our financial uh, planning organization as the executive director. And even within that organization, I had three very distinct roles. And the third role um, got me a lot closer to uh, how we planned for cash flow across the business. And in partnership with our CFO of all of AT&T at that time, uh, I developed a working capital uh, uh, sort of task force to take what um, frankly was a, a very uh, untapped opportunity. And it wasn't out of 
negligence, but the reality is, is as a company like AT&T grows, it doesn't take a lot to move the, to, to make a change in a working capital practice that can translate into dollars with a B behind it in terms of improving cash flow. And you know, we, we've always been a company that has invested a significant amount of capital into our business. And so it's very strategic to find sources of cash that aren't taken away from you know, our ability to provide the best experience to our consumers um, so that we're always investing in the future. So this working capital task force, we basically pulled together different operating leads in the business, whether it be sales, whether it be in supply chain, and a big opportunity within our technology organization, because one of the one of the uh, key aspects for, of working capital for us is construction and progress. You make investments to go build an asset and put it into use. The longer it's sitting there and not in use, that's you know that's a that's fallow capital that we, we'd much rather have it earning earning a return. And so, um, and built a complete sort of program around that so that everyone was looking at the same metrics, thinking about uh, working capital in a total sort of fashion, and then actually got to see what it meant from a cash flow perspective for the business um, and completely changed the mindset, I think, of people that otherwise wouldn't have even thought about working capital because they're out there trying to sell the next uh, account or trying to, you know, do the next release on a on a on a development set, uh, cycle, or ensuring that they've got you know enough inventory that they're you know that they're um, uh, uh, meantime to solving a, a a repair issue is is never hindered. All those things that are important operational concerns, but showing the cash flow impact of things that frankly didn't hinder their ability to 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 be successful in those regards. But if they just changed the practice a little bit, actually improved cash for the company and gave them more money to invest. When we return, CFO Ray Carpenter enters the mentoring round. The business landscape is changing quickly. As the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases, you need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, we can help. We'll work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization. Our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for six years in a row. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. We want you to think back to when you first stepped into a CFO role, and that might have been um, in that last tour of duty or might have been earlier. Uh, I think you had uh, the title before that as well, uh, perhaps, but you, you can let us know the first week, the first quarter in that role, what, if you could go back in time, what piece of advice would you give yourself? Definitely um, invest the time to not only build the relationships, but really understand the business. I think uh, for finance, though, uh, the, the, the tenor that you sort of uh, pick up in in the covering of finance, and I'm sure Jack, you appreciate this better than most. There's there's definitely more acknowledgement that the CFO uh, function is not there just to do accounting; that they're there to be a business partner and a strategic partner to the business. 
And I think too often there's this thought that finance is there to say no, or finance is the only responsible one in the room that actually cares about making money. And that's just simply not the case. And so um, to really uh, invest the time to better understand the perspectives of the sales leads and the marketing leads and the operational leads and all the different parts of the business that are trying to be, they, they want to, all of those groups want to be just as successful as, as we do. Um, but everyone brings a different perspective to that, to how to get that success and understanding that I think just leads to more velocity and speed and, and, and getting to um, accomplishing what you want to accomplish in the business. And so um, really upfront investing the time to get to know the business and learn the business and learn the different aspects of the business um, is, is time that will always be well spent. So we always like to ask our guests to reflect a little bit on the personal side. If there's a habit or part of their daily routine that they do outside of work that in some way perhaps has paid dividends to the uh, the professional side of things. Is there anything that you do, any habit that you have that you think has helped you succeed? Um, I don't know about daily, but I do try to make time for this on a regular basis uh, and, and it's continuous learning. I'm someone that uh, has always enjoyed uh consuming uh you know courses off of coursera or other MOOCs or you know uh, reading a lot and, and often about things that aren't directly related to my area of expertise or even the industry or part of the business that i'm supporting um, i think it just helps you uh, approach problems in a different way and and think about other ways of solving problems that you otherwise wouldn't um, and so that continuous learning uh, sort of habit is is always uh, been a big part of uh, my DNA and, and and something I've enjoyed, and I think it's helped me. Is there a, is there a book you'd recommend to aspiring finance leaders? Doesn't have to be a business book. I always intend to say that first. Uh, but uh, anything you'd like to recommend? Yeah, there, uh, especially when you take the business uh, qualifier off, there are all kinds of books that. Uh, I'd love to recommend, but I, there there is a book. I read this book probably once a year, uh, always get something new from it. And, it, and if at a minimum, it sort of uh, affirms a lot of what uh, I try to accomplish as a leader. And it's called High Output Man- Management by Andy Grove. So Andy Grove, the uh, person who founded uh, Intel, uh, wrote this book. And I'll you know, warn you, um, you know, when he wrote it, email was sort of a new thing. And uh, he even talks about how efficient email can be. But uh, there are so many things that are transferable to today that he focuses in on that I just get a lot of value out of. And it's not really a finance book as much as it's a business leadership book and and business business management book. Uh, But I, I would recommend everyone read that book. Well, there it is. I didn't I didn't uh, I just picked only the paranoid survive off my bookshelf here, which is Andy Grove, of course. And uh, there it is. Other books by Andy Grove. High output management. We haven't had that one before, so we'll make sure. And by the way, Andy Grove also wrote one on one with Andy Grove, who uh, just a terrific manager, though. You're right. And uh, thank you for a selection we haven't had before. So that's a always a, a good addition to an episode. Thank you. Uh, so we're up to our final question where we get to ask you uh, to look forward finally for us and share with you, us your uh, 12-month priorities, those priorities that you have over the next 12 months as CFO of Xander. What would those be? 
Sure. Um, you know, the, the first one is um, ensuring that we're staying focused on our investments that will pay dividends in the future. So as a company like ours that has actually had some success and growth and built a lot of momentum, you start to um, believe you can do more. And uh, as CFO, it's really important to me that we're focused in our investments, that we know what to say yes to, but also what to say no to. So that what we say yes to is going to have the full sort of uh, focus and, and, and success behind it. And so always maintaining that and using unemotional ways to do that uh, is a big priority for mine. Um, we also have to continue to get more efficient. We have to learn how to automate more. We have to you know, stop doing the things that aren't uh, adding value and really free up the capacity on, on those areas that are a lot more high on the intelligent quotient line. Um, and so that's a that's a constant focus of ours. And then I think I'd be remiss to say, especially, you know, uh, with all that's going on in society right now, um, I need a more diverse leadership team. Um, you know, I'm proud of uh, the team overall and how we are represented both uh, across genders and people of color. But in terms of my direct leadership team, um, I don't have any black executives reporting to me. And, and I, that's something that, uh, I need to have sort of some honest reflection about as to why and do something about it. Ray Carpenter, thank you for joining us on CFO Thought Leader. Thank you for having me, Jack. I I enjoyed it. Hello, listeners. Do us a favor, be certain to subscribe to CFO Thought Leader on Apple Podcasts, or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or Google Play. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Oh, and by the way, the CFO Yearbook 2021 Print Edition debuts on Amazon this quarter, featuring 100 profiles of finance leaders from our 2020 season. Would you like to learn more about our CFO guests? Order the CFO Yearbook 2021. Thank you for supporting our efforts to bring you career journeys of CFOs driving change. We'll be back with another episode very soon. Thank you for listening.